Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. Before we jump into the message, I want to highlight two things for you. First, uh, Leah and Riley last week during the welcome uh, put before us an opportunity to be generous as a church uh, as we approach the Christmas season, as we come alongside families who just need a little bit of extra help this season, providing gifts for their children. And so uh, you might notice that the table for the Christmas store that used to be over there is now moved over back here by Candeo Kids. You can stop by that table and grab one of these cards. And it's got a list of kind of suggested things that you could purchase and bring in, or you can just scan that QR code and you can literally just go go on Amazon and have it shipped to Candeo. All right. And so uh, if you want to jump into the Christmas store, uh, that we, you can go get stuff and you can start bringing them. It says um, return new unwrapped gifts to Candeo by no, uh, Sunday, November 26th, you can bring them all the way up until then. So between now and the 26th, you can feel free to bring those gifts. And uh, secondly, it's weird to be talking about Christmas right now because um, I, went, I went to, where did I go? I went to Hy-Vee a day after Halloween and the bell ringers were out. I was like, where did, where did Thanksgiving go? Like Christmas seems to keep getting like closer and, you know, coming up in the year. Well, it is coming before we know it. Thanksgiving is in a week and a half. And the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're going to begin our Advent series. Technically, Advent doesn't begin until the first Sunday of December, but we're so excited about it that we're going to begin a week early. All right. And what our Advent series is going to look like, what our sermon series is going to look like is we're actually going to be walking through this little book. David Mathis has a book called The Christmas We Didn't Expect, and it's daily Advent readings. And so if you're an Advent devotion person, even if you're not, here would be my challenge to you. We bought 250 of these and we put them back in the resource center. They're $10. It's cheaper than you can, can get on Amazon. All right. So even if I don't want a book, if it's cheaper than it does on Amazon, I'll probably buy it. But you can go back there and literally it's, it's a reading a day from December 1st through the 24th. And the readings take as long as it takes to drink one cup of coffee. I tested this out, all right? And a, and a hot cup of coffee, not an iced coffee. You can just guzzle those down, right? But one cup of hot coffee is how long it takes to read the devotion for the day. And David Mathis, actually, you might uh, recognize that name. We used his book, Habits of Grace, in our Habits of Grace equipping class. He's a great writer, incredibly biblical, and, and, and is really helpful in focusing our attention on Christ as we anticipate the Advent season. Um, the way that our sermon series will look then is that on the... On, each Sunday, we, the, the message is going to basically double-click on what the, the devotional reading was for that day. And so let's say you read the, the devotional reading the sun, you know, that morning before you come to church. The message that morning is going to be basically an expansion on what you already read in the Advent devotional here. So you can get that back at the Resource Center. All right, my public service announcement is done. Let's get into the Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can open Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Now, for the last couple months, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've come across a number of topics that that I hope that uh, as we have presented them and as you have discussed them in your connection groups, you have actually found that, that this ancient book is incredibly applicable for our world today. As we've looked at topics like wisdom and money and time 
and control. And this morning, as the teacher, who has been the primary voice in this whole book, as the teacher kind of wraps up his section, next week we're going to get the voice of the narrator as he concludes the book, but the teacher wraps up everything he has to say. As he wraps up his musings on our life and on our world, he's going to help us consider how we should think about being young and how we should think about growing old. How should we think about being young and how should we think about growing old? Because those really are the two camps that you can kind of exist in, right? You're either young or you're old. I've never met anyone who said, I am in the prime of my life. I've never met anyone who said that. You're either young or you're old. Now, it's entirely possible that the way that you think of yourself in this regard is totally different than the way that others might view you. I'll give you an example. A 29-year-old turning 30 might go, oh, I'm getting so old. And then like a 60 or 70-year-old will look at that 30-year-old and go, I have socks that are older than you. Like, <laughs> you're, not, you're not even halfway there. You are so young. I, I remember as a kid, my, my dad had a motorcycle and he, he hardly ever rode it. And so it sat in the garage. And, but as a boy, I'm just like so intrigued by this machine that, that I haven't really seen work a whole lot. And so I would go into the garage, I would get onto the motorcycle and I'd press every button and turn every knob and you know, do, do all the, you know, that's probably why my dad didn't drive it because I messed it all up. But like, and so I would just pretend to be riding on this motorcycle. And then when I got tired of that, I would get off of the motorcycle and I'd grab my bike and I would take like leaves or playing cards or soda cans. You ever done this? Maybe just be, I don't know. And you'd like stick it in the spokes of your bike as you rode around, it would make that kind of like clicking sound, right? Because I'm like, well, I can't ride that motorcycle, so I'll turn this into a motorcycle. You know, some sort of engine sound, right? If you've been around kids at all, you know that a, a vast majority of their playtime consists of pretending to be older. But isn't it, isn't it interesting that when we're young, we spend a lot of our time pretending to be old, but then something switches when you grow up. And as you get older, there's the temptation to want to pretend to be young. You see, we're, we're a multi-generational church with a next generation focus. And so how should we think about being young and how should we think about growing old? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 starts us off. I'm actually gonna start off in verse seven. And the teacher says this, he says, light is sweet and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Now, even if you aren't a morning person, I'm not a morning person. Our elder meetings are at six in the morning. Every year I ask Cody, can we please make these a little bit later? Maybe at night, maybe 11 o'clock at night. That'd be fantastic. Be, be ready to go. Like, but even if you aren't a morning person, why is it you know that sunrises are refreshing? Sunrises are peaceful. Sunrises are pleasing. Why? It's because the, what the teacher is saying is light is sweet and it's pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Basically what the teacher is saying is he's saying, I see skies of blue and clouds of white. 
the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world, right? Like, it's like, like the teacher beat Louis Armstrong to the punch in this. Light is sweet and it's pleasing to the eyes. That's what he's saying though. This world is wonderful. You, man, if you spend too much time on your phone, you're gonna be tempted to think there's nothing wonderful about our world. But our world is wonderful. Look at, look at verse eight. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness since they will be many. Rejoice, young person, while you are young, and let your heart be glad. He reiterates this in verse 10. He says, remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. What is the teacher saying as he wraps up chapter 11? What is he saying? He's, he's looking at, at all of you young people, and I'll, I'll let you kind of decide whether you fit in that young category, all right? But you kind of know. But he's looking at you young people, and, he, and what's he saying? He's saying, relax. Could you just chill out a second and relax? Now, some of you parents are going, Jake, my teenager has an honorary doctorate in relaxing, okay? You don't need to tell them to relax. Like, they have a PhD in relaxing, and yet, somehow, somehow, the rates of anxiety and depression among young people is at all-time highs. Now, there isn't just one reason for that. This is a complicated problem. It's multidimensional, right? But could it be that what often looks like relaxing is actually escaping? It's real easy to get, in some ways, a bit to have a bit of a get off my lawn kind of like posture towards young people because it's like, well, they're always on their phones. All this. Could it be that they aren't actually relaxing? They're actually trying to escape. In the words of Alistair Begg, commenting on modern young people, he says this, he says, relationships trouble them. Family life forsakes them. Rootlessness consumes them and suicide attracts them. What is the teacher saying here in chapter 11? He's saying, he's saying to you kids, to you, to you elementary school kids, enjoy being a child. Parents, some of you just, some of, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself here, some of you just need to chill out a little bit and let your kids be kids. Did you know it's not a sin to be annoying? But man, it sure feels like it, doesn't it? Like, like when kids are annoying, I feel sinned against. But that's the, that, that's the thing. It's like, no, yeah, kid, they can be annoying. I get that. But all that that's doing, the reason why I get upset about that is because it's exposing the sin of my own selfishness, isn't it? Chill out a little bit. Let your kids be kids. Kids, enjoy your childhood. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, enjoy your youth. College students, enjoy your youth. Don't wish your life away. You remember the, the parable of the, I think it's called the, the, the parable of the magic thread. Do you remember that one? There's this young boy 
who spends his whole, like his whole childhood just imagining the future, wanting the next day to come, wanting the next year to come, wanting the next stage of life to come. And he's walking in the woods and he meets this old woman. Now, that, if you meet someone in the woods randomly, I don't suggest you just strike up a conversation with them. But as it goes, he meets this old woman in Hartman Reserve. And she, <laughs> she offers him this ball of magic thread that every time you pull on the thread, it makes time go by just a little bit more. And the harder you pull, the, the further you pull, the, the faster time flies by. So whenever the boy got in a situation he didn't like, he would pull on the thread. Whenever something wasn't happening that he wanted to happen, he'd pull on the thread. And before he knows it, he's at the end of his life and he's actually pulled on the thread so much that he's basically missed out on his life, he's missed out on his marriage and he's missed out on the life of his children. And then as an old man, he's back in the woods, as old men do, I suppose. And he, he runs into the same old woman who gave him the ball of magic thread in the first place. And seeing that he wasn't satisfied with how quickly his life had gone, she says, I'll grant you one wish. And the, the one wish that he asks for, after thinking a bit, he says, I should like to live my life again, as if for the first time, but without your magic thread. Then I will experience the bad things as well as the good without cutting them short. And at least my life will not pass as swiftly and meaninglessly as a daydream. Isn't it amazing that when you're young, time seems to inch by so slowly, right? An hour feels like a day. A day feels like a decade. And Christmas is like never going to come. It's an eternity away, right? But then as you get older, the faster time seems to fly by. If when you were a kid, a day felt like a decade, when you're old, last year might as well have been yesterday. It's, in, it's interesting that as you get older, the more you reference things and you say the other day, it was actually like five years ago, right? That's not the other day. That was like half a decade ago, but it feels like the other day. Why? Because time flies so fast. Young people, don't wish your life away. Don't wish it away. When you're young, you have no idea how short life is. And so we want to grow up. But before we know it, and we don't even know when it happens, right? This is why there's no in-between of, of feeling young and feeling old, because we don't even know when it happens. But before we know it, we start to feel old, and somehow we've totally missed the prime of our life. Because when exactly was the moment that you aren't too young and you aren't too old? Nobody knows. It's like, it's like trying to catch a pear when it's ripe. Can't do it. It's impossible. Pears are ripe for like six seconds, and it's never when you're home, Right? They're either too hard or they're like all bruised. And it's like, who's been throwing this pair around? You know, it's just like, you can't figure it out. That's the way our life is though. The prime of our life is like, is like a right pair. They don't exist. And if they do, we don't know when it is. So enjoy being young, young people. But there's a caveat here. Because if you look at verse Let's see, verse nine, 
It says, rejoice, young person, while you are young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the desires of your eyes. You go, that sounds awesome. Walk in the ways of my heart? Great. Follow your heart and the desires of your eyes. Anything I see I should go after? Is that where he stops though? No. He says, live your life, live it up, but don't forget that finals are coming. Now, some of you college students started to twitch a little, right? Like finals. Yeah, finals are in a month. You know that? Sorry, kind of a downer, right? But, don't, but he's not talking about finals for school. He's talking about finals for life. He says, enjoy your youth, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So enjoy your youth, young people. Enjoy being young. But enjoy your youth as one who knows that this life isn't all that there is. Enjoy your youth as one who knows that an assessment is coming, that an account will be required for how you lived in your youth. In other words, what the teacher is saying here as he concludes chapter 11 and begins to transition to chapter 12 is that youth is a gift, so don't waste it. But youth is also fleeting, so don't worship it. Youth is a gift. Don't try to grow up too fast. And don't waste your youth. But don't be mistaken. Youth is also fleeting. It'll be gone like, the blink, like a blink of an eye. So don't worship it. And then he turns here in chapter 12. In verses one through seven in chapter 12, most if not all commentators agree that these verses are highly figurative descriptions of physical deterioration as one grows old. Highly, physical, highly figurative, highly artistic, figurative descriptions of deterioration as one goes old. Just, just kind of let's, let's walk through verses one through seven here and I'll show you, show you what this means. So verse two, before the sun and the light are darkened. Many, many commentators believe that to be a reference to failing eyesight. Verse three, when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, this, this refers to failing legs and a failing back. The women who grind grain cease because they are few. This is talking about deterioration of teeth, losing teeth, grinding grain. The people who can grind the grain, the teeth, they become few. Verse four, the doors of the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. It's this reference to failing hearing, this loss of the ability to hear the doors shut and the, and the sounds that are happening around you. Verse five, they're afraid of heights and dangers on the road. This is in reference to, to an older person and a feeble body leading to physical uncertainty. Every step feels a little less certain. The almond tree blossoms. You ever seen a, seen a blossomed almond tree? It's totally white. What could this be in reference to? Gray hair. Your hair turning white. The grasshopper loses its spring. Every step becomes 
more difficult. And then verse six, the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken from the well. In other words, what this is a reference to is that, is that the cistern of life from which you continually drew over the length of your life will one day want run dry. The jar is shattered and the wheel is broken into the well. At some point, we will stop drawing from the well of youth and from the well of life. And so when we're young and we want to be old, what's the answer to this dilemma? The answer is young people, relax and enjoy your youth. Youth is a gift, so don't waste it, but youth is fleeting, so don't worship it. Enjoy your youth. And remember that finals are coming. But there's another reality in our world because he's not only talking to young people necessarily here. Because it isn't just that when we're young, we want to be old, but especially in our culture today, our culture looks at us and says that getting old is the worst thing that can possibly happen to you, so do everything you can to stay young. Our, our world is looking at us every day saying getting old is the worst thing that can happen to you, and so do everything you can to avoid it. Don't ever grow up. But what the teacher is telling us in these verses, especially in chapter 12, is that it's not that getting old is the worst thing that can happen to you. It's simply that getting old is inevitable. It's a circle of life. You can't stay young forever. And if the greatest thing you have going for you is your physical health and your physical attractiveness, then you're in for a rude awakening. Enjoy being young, but don't idolize it. And don't dread not being young. Because here's the thing. If you spend your youth dreading getting old, you're going to ruin the experience of being young. And not only that, if you try to perpetuate your youth, if as you grow older, you are constantly trying to pretend as though you're still really young, you're going to look very, very silly. Perhaps you're familiar with the lyrics of that 1980s song. This has been a, a strangely musical, you know, message series, right? A lot of song lyrics. I, want, I, wonder, if that, I wonder if that's actually an indication of how deeply these truths are etched within every human heart. It's no wonder that the themes of Ecclesiastes are riddled across our, our music, right? But maybe you're familiar with those 1984 lyrics, forever young. I wanna be forever young. And then pot like needs an extra measure. Do you really wanna live forever? Forever and ever. But it's really tempting, isn't it? It's really tempting that as you get older to want to be forever young, to try to keep up with the latest fashion, the latest music, the latest, the latest vernacular. Words like cap and beige flag and sus, right? Stan, I didn't know any of these words. I asked our saw company staff. 
spent a half hour trying to figure out what, what, is, what are you saying? Give me definitions of these, right? But if you're old and you're trying to keep up with everything, man, you look like a clown. Historian and theologian Carl Truman wrote an article uh, titled Trapped in Neverland. And, and, and here's what he writes. I think it'll be up on the screen. There's quite, a, there's quite a contrast between the world in which my grandfather grew up and the world of today. By age 15, he had done two years of hard work. Had he not done so, the result would have been simple. He would have starved. By age 20, he knew what responsibility was. By age 30, he had spent over half his life in the workplace. Indeed, he did not become an adult when he married and had children. He had already been an adult since before he had really needed to shave. Today is so different. If the, poverty of hard, if the poverty and hard work of my grandfather's era left men middle-aged at 30, the ease and trivia of today's society seems to leave us trapped in a permanent neverland where we all, like so many Peter and Patty Pans, live lives of eternal youth. The world of my grandfather was evil because it made him grow up too fast. The world of today is evil because it prevents many from ever growing up at all. You see, on the one hand, I think, I think we all can recognize that it, it's a bit unnatural and it's a bit cringy. There's something a bit unnatural and a bit cringy about an old person desperately trying to pretend as though they're young. Maybe, maybe like the caricature of this would be the, the 60 or 70 year old pop stars undergoing massive amounts of plastic surgery, surgery to return to their 22 year old selves. I think we can look at that perhaps in the tabloids or, you know, on TV and go, wow, what in the world? Why would you ever, that's just, that's not even attractive anymore. And yet, it's also true, we saw back in Ecclesiastes 3, that eternity is written on our hearts. And so could it be that the reason why perhaps many of us and the reason why many in our culture desire to stay forever young is that deep down within all of us, we know that we were actually created to never grow old. Could it be that the never-ending quest to be and stay young is actually an echo of the truth that we were created to live forever? So, how then shall we live, knowing that youth is fleeting and that death is inevitable? How should we live? We've got three things, could be more than three, but I've got three. Number one, be childlike, but not childish. Be childlike, but not childish. If you remember, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, here's the account. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
You see, believers ought not be childish. That is, Christians ought not be constantly preoccupied with trivial, with trivial, with trivial, with shallow, with inconsequential, with weightless things. You see, we as Christians, no matter how old you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we ought not throw tantrums when we don't get our way. We ought not metaphorically scratch and bite and kick our enemies or refuse to submit to any authority other than our own. You see, childishness preoccupies itself with pointless arguments, with mindless entertainment, and with the cotton candy of immediate gratification. No, believers ought not be childish. But whether you're young or old, if you're a believer in Christ, you are called to be childlike. And what childlikeness in the kingdom of God is a recognition of your vulnerability and is an, is an embracing of humility. That we come to God humble and vulnerable with the dependence of a little child. Why is it that teenagers are so, aren't easily impressed. If you have teenagers, maybe you know this. They're not easily impressed. Everything is kind of meh, right? You show them a sunset, you show them a magnificent mountain, you show them a great work of art, and probably, unless you have like an exceptionally mature teenager, what you're gonna kind of get is maybe a glance up from their phone and be like, whatever. Why? Why aren't teenagers easily impressed? Why? Perhaps it's because that in order to hope, in order to marvel, in order to wonder at something, it means being vulnerable. It means opening yourself up to vulnerability. Unless you turn and become like, like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom means that until you recognize your need for God, until you recognize your dependence on him and become humble and vulnerable enough to come to him in faith and dependence, then you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. You see, Christians ought to be childlike, but not childish, in that we recognize our need for God, our continual, constant, every day, every moment need. For God. Psalm 147, Scott Rieger is kind of our cross-reference king in the elder room. He threw this one out. I thought it was great. Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11, he says, he, referring to God, is not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. In other words, do you want to impress God? He's not impressed by your strength and he's not impressed by your independence. No, what God is impressed by, what God is looking for is humble, childlike faith that is willing to be vulnerable enough to marvel at and hope in his faithful, unfailing love. You see, it ought not be that the older that we get as Christians, that we become stoic, and less impressed by the grace of God. It ought not be that the older we become, 
the more stoic and less impressed we are by the greatness of God's grace towards us and the greatness of his grace in the world. So Christian, old or young, be childlike, but not childish. Number two, prioritize inner renewal over external preservation. Now, right off the bat, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that it's wrong to take care of your body. It's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, is, is look, at, look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It'll be up on the screen. After he's just talked about the hope of a future resurrection, he says this in verse 16. Therefore, because of this great gospel, this glorious gospel hope of a resurrection that we have, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed. That's Ecclesiastes 12, isn't it? Our outer person, no matter how much you fight it, is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. You see, it doesn't matter how attractive you are. It doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter how able-bodied you are. A day is coming when your outer self, Paul would go on in 2 Corinthians 4 to describe our bodies as earthly tents. They're just tents. We're basically camping in these things, right? There's a day coming when our bodies will physically fail. And if you care more about your external appearance than your internal renewal in Christ, then when your body fails, you will fall into despair. Paul says elsewhere in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, perhaps for you, this isn't like a future reality. Perhaps for you, your body is failing right now. This isn't your future. This is your present. It was your evening last night and maybe it was your morning this morning. Some of you are living Ecclesiastes Chapter 12, verses one through seven, right now. Prioritize inner renewal over external preservation. And number three, let the affliction of old age fuel your joyful and eager anticipation of eternal life. Let the affliction of old age fuel your joyful and eager anticipation of eternal life. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What does this mean? This means that every ache, every pain, every test result, every evidence of your own mortality isn't meaningless. But it's doing something. It's preparing you. It's reminding you of something that every ache and pain that you have is whispering at you. Perhaps it's shouting at you, reminding you that this world is not your home and that death is not the end. The Bible says that, that creation itself groans because of the decay and futility of a broken world. And here's the thing. If creation groans longing for the day when all that is broken will be, will be made new, then let every groan of old age, every time you make that weird sound standing up or sitting down, right? 
every groan of old age is a signpost of what should be our longing for a future glory that is yet to be revealed. Let every time it's difficult to sit down and every time it's difficult to stand up, fuel your joyful and eager anticipation of eternal life. And because Christ took every aspect of our fallen world upon himself on the cross and rose again three days later, because of this, we can live in the hope that heaven will taste all the sweeter for those who have experienced the bitterness of a fallen world and a broken body. That's what Paul means when he says, this light and momentary affliction is producing for us an incomparable eternal weight of glory. The more you suffer in this life, the more you experience the pains of old age, they will inevitably come. The more you experience the bitterness of a, of a broken world and a broken body, the sweeter heaven will be. The more you will taste the glory of eternity. So do you want to be young forever? Don't worship youth, but instead worship the one who lived, died, and rose again so that we could have the hope of eternity in heaven where there is no death and where there is no aging. There is no death, and therefore there is no aging, which means that if you are in Christ, then you and I can look forward to an eternity in heaven where we will truly be forever young as we live forever in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you for taking upon yourself the brokenness of our world that you know what it means to have a broken body. And therefore, as we grow old, as we experience death and decay, we cannot lose hope. Because just as you rose from the dead three days later, we can joyfully look forward to a future resurrection where we will live with you forever. That because we have eternal life, this means that in you, we truly will be young forever. So Father, help us not to idolize earthly youth. Help us to enjoy it, to glorify you in it, but to not worship it, but instead to worship you, Jesus who lived and died and rose again so that we can have eternity with you one day. Pray this in your name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.